I'm Joanne Wilson, and this is Positively Gotham Gal. Small, meaningful conversations with women entrepreneurs about their approach to life, business, and everything in between. Alexis Maybank is the co-founder and the CEO of Project September. Project September is the first entirely visual shopping platform bridging the gap between online shopping and social browsing. And before that, Alexis founded Gilt Group and revolutionized the landscape of luxury e-commerce. Alexis, together with Gilt co-founder Alexandra Wilkes-Wilson, is the author of the New York Times bestseller book, By Invitation Only, How We Built Gilt and Changed the Way Millions Shop. By the way, a fantastic book. I read it. Thank I thought you. it was terrific. Thank you. Um, really great tidbits in there for any entrepreneur. Um, she serves as the chair of Girls Who Code and the director for the National Audubon Society. That's interesting. Um, Alexis was named in Crane's 40 Under 40, awarded Ernst & Young's New York Entrepreneur of the Year Award, including the Marketing Hall of Fame by DMA, and received the Endeavor Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Welcome, Alexis. Audubon. Okay, so where did that come from? That's so, not a New York thing. I, for a couple of reasons, mm-hmm. um, I come from a family of conservationists who are, uh, live in far-flung places like Alaska. So it's always been kind of, I have New York fashion on one side, and then uh, I take a few weeks out of the year, and I might be, a little less so now that I have small kids, but I might be doing far-flung excursions out in the wilderness with family members. So it's been kind of a good balance to That's super my cool. life in New York. So where did you grow up? I grew up between Charleston, South Carolina and northern New Jersey, but I have family members who have moved um, to Colorado and Alaska, so I spent a lot of time there throughout my life as well. And were your parents like big into, you know, the whole Audubon? My grandmother actually was the first great explorer in my life, and uh, from there she brought up her boys and my mother um, going all over the world, really. I mean, she was quite a pioneer in her own right, someone that I admired throughout my old life, but she was the type who took a honeymoon and went um, backpacking with her husband for two years and went whitewater rafting and cross-country skiing up until her 90s. So I just kind of admired her. That's amazing. And thought she was someone to look up to and live up to. So I, I spent lots of time in my life with her and I really admired her. I love that you do that. I mean, that's like such a like complete 180 degrees from like your normal day to day. Yeah, and, and in general, I've just, uh, conservation and, and thinking about what that movement looks like for my generation has always been a topic that fascinates me because it's, especially in this day and age, we're going to see a lot of changes over the next four years. Yeah, for sure. And how can we not lose sight of it? And I, so it's, it's something that I do with my free time and is a nice kind of balance and it does kind of dovetail a little bit into another topic that I'm passionate about is which is women in sciences in general. Right, right, which makes sense. I mean, it's interesting because I do think even in the next decade as we look at more urban living, more buildings, um that they're they're not going to look to just like flatten these buildings and start again. It's going to be about, you know, conservation. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the next decade that conservation is going to be uh, a, a much batted around word. And I, mother of small children, it's a huge effort now to get your kids outside. I mean, I love living in New York. I have a great time in New York. But if I want to take them out to see trees, like 
got to load up the car. We got to drive for 45 minutes. Right. So it's just a, it, as you mentioned that uh, world in which we live in today, which is so urban centric. Like, how do we get that balance and make sure that there it we haven't seen the last child out in the wilderness? Oh, totally. I remember we lived in the um, suburbs for a short period of time, and. Um, I don't know where we were. We were at someone's house, and they this couple had come up from the city. And I'm telling you, this kid had never seen grass. And he must have been, like, four years old. He just kept rolling in this grass. I mean, it was like it was like this experience he, only he was having. It was just like, we're like, has that kid ever seen grass? You know, know he's just like, so he true. was obsessed with, like, the feel and the touch and the smell. And it was hilarious. Much has ever gone barefoot on it. I've definitely seen children who are like, you know, dip a toe in the grass and pull it back quickly. So it's just a whole new world. And how, are you, how old are your children now? I have a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-month-old. Wow. That's big. So I have uh, three small kids, and they're so much fun, and just definitely top priority in my life, but so are a couple of other interests as well. Right. I have seen entrepreneurs who have had children during their company, started the company with none, you know, grew the company, had two, and I think they actually become better founders. You become a lot more focused and the time that you have in the office efficient because, you know, if you make it home by 630, you see your child for yeah. 30 minutes before they go to bed. Yeah. And then that's, it's, it might seem like, oh gosh, I'm leaving at 6 PM to the others in my office. But the truth is I will make it home for 30 minutes to see a child tuck them into bed and maybe give them a bottle. Yeah. So you get, you do, you prioritize, you think about what you absolutely have to do, what you must do, and um, it, you have a whole new orientation. Yeah. I had two children during my guilt years, and I had one briefly after launching my recent business, <laughs> which isn't advisable, <laughs> but, but some things works. don't always line up exactly as you might have thought. Yeah. They, a hundred percent. So when you look back at your, you know, your life, you know, you said you grew up between, you know, two locations, you know, what was your real first entrepreneurial moment or that, that did you have an idea? Did you think like, I'm always going to start my own business? I don't have specific, uh, you know, I started a lemonade stand or moments like that, but I have things that I always recall throughout my life that planned helped me get ready for life as an entrepreneur. I mean, the, where it started was really coming right out of college. I landed in Silicon Valley. I was, you know, someone knocked on my door essentially and said, will you join this company where there's 30 of us? Um, here's our mission. I thought the people were fabulous. Everyone told me not to do it. Mm -hmm. But I ended up joining this company called eBay when it was teeny tiny and watched it go from that number of individuals, roughly 40 actually, to about 4,500. But leading up to that, I mean, some of the best things that I, I was fortunate, probably I was one of six kids, so loose controls vis-a-vis -vis my parents. I got to do a lot of things I'm not sure I'd let my kids do now. Like, oh, I'm just going to go off and do this three-month research thesis thing or want to go visit um, and do a study abroad and I'll write you every month from Paraguay, from Argentina, <laughs> from Chile, whatever it might be. But regardless what it was, I was got very, I loved it and I got very used to being dropped in whatever location and figuring it out. And I think that was something that I applied day in and day out still. And I did a lot of sports. I was a captain of a lot of things in high school, et cetera, played sports in college. And 
It does teach you resilience and perseverance, and it's a great way, especially as a girl, to get leadership early. And so those are things that helped me, but um, I don't have one specific thing that I said, you know, I'm going to start a lemonade stand, and one day I'm going to start a women's fashion business. It sort of um, happened through um, opportunities that arose, and I dove into them, and I kind of figured them out as I went, and that's half of being an entrepreneur. Completely. So all the dots really just connected. When you look back, what was the biggest misstep you took um, that was a great learning experience that allowed you to sort of go down a different path? So across my career in general, uh, I mean, there's been so many missteps. Let's see where to begin. And they are so, right, and those are the best <laughs> things where you to learn, learn from. And you learn to get back up, most importantly. But, um, you know, I'd say... Um, My years at eBay were terrific. As you mentioned, I got to see a whole new way in which businesses were created, a business that was the first kind of benefit from what the the catchphrase network effects, which is now the sharing economy and so many other um, firsts there. I saw one of the first major CEOs in in Silicon Valley and just a large female leader in the tech sector as well. Um, But I'd say... You know, throughout my time at Gilt, we tried a lot of things. Um, We tried many new categories. We expanded into new geographies. I don't regret doing any of those, but certain ones we did um, based on alone what we thought instead of looking and learning from what our customers were asking us to do. And that, you know, I could point to a couple things, but I actually heard Susan Line and um, um, Michelle Peluso talk about that, and I thought that was a really a. It was great to hear. It was at a breakfast for a bunch of women, and b. It was interesting mm-hmm. to hear that. Um, I think it was when they you guys saw that people were coming through the platform that were like wish listing, but they weren't making purchases. So and then, the, and then launching that secondary line that ended up like crickets. The yes, exactly. So the first one happened as I was stepping out of the CEO role. Susan Line was coming in, um, and we were saw this pattern basically where there was a lot of college girls and guys. Actually, we always had thirty percent guys on the platform. They're our best customers at the end of the day too. Um, but we saw a lot of individuals in that age range, college, who were coming, looking, flipping through the virtual pages of of our site, mm-hmm. and just seemed to really love what we were doing. And um, at the time, and I think this predates Michelle joining the board, but we thought well, they must not be able to afford it. We got to just do a whole new second thing and let's raise money to do it and let's carve out big teams and let's build before we know. And and at the time, you know, big focus at eBay was always just listening to the customer and only expanding where he or she told you to go. Categories, um, product extensions, geographies, new categories that um, you might see cropping up inside of other ones. So... I had this pull, push pull in my head, like, God, I'm not sure this is right. You know, are we expanding? Are we focusing enough? Um, and uh, and anyway, that ended up being a mistake. That they were just waiting to get their first paycheck. They didn't want necessarily lower quality or lower price point goods. Rarely does a customer raise their hand and say, you know, 
give me something cheaper. That's all I want. Right. Um, it's it's it, the customer proposition that we had met miss was that they were they loved they were saving they loved what we were doing but they were waiting for the right moment to make that first to make purchase. that first purchase and praying for a moment in time when they had a paycheck right. and could be a loyal customer. And we just didn't take the time to stop and learn and ask. And um, and you can't always do that in a startup environment, but you can do even grandmother research, and we didn't even do that. That's interesting. I mean, I think that's a great lesson learned for anybody, mm-hmm. although there are certainly places where you, know, you find these voids that you didn't realize that the customer actually wanted or nor did they realize that they mm-hmm. wanted it. So it's, 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 it's a balance. Well, in the industry that we're in today, it's so easy not to ask the customer, actually. In the industry where you can A-B test, multivariate test, you throw up five versions of the site, you yeah. see what outperform, what impacts, what part of the funnel, as they, using all the catchphrases of my industry, you basically seeing you know what the metrics are showing increase a purchase rate by a small percentage, and that must be the right answer. And sometimes you should just actually stop and talk to your customers even if it is only to the extent that you can afford to do so, which is through phone calls, emails, throwing up a free online survey or whatever it might be. And you're always going to be impressed by the response you get from your customers. They like feeling like your marketing partner. They like feeling like they have a say in the company. Totally. And they become that much more loyal and that much um, greater a group of advocates for what you are doing. So talk a little bit about Project September and uh, what, what was the seed of the idea there that you thought, okay, this is a void in the market that I think I can really um, build something that would be um, sticky and could become something big. You know, I, I saw an opportunity to create a new experience, one in which as a customer, I really want to have the opportunity to shop that way. And with Project visually. September- I mean, it's visually beautiful. Visually beautiful. I would watch our customers doing a couple things um, during my time at Guild. Um, they read nothing. They came, they saw images that triggered a response of some sort, emotionally decided to you know, basically make a purchase, try a new brand that way. But most importantly, I watched how quickly people consume content in this day and age, how they make decisions, and it's all being driven by visual content. Mm-hmm. And... So that plus um, what is uh, a whole new universe in which people take beautiful images day in and day out thanks to the onset of the iPhone. Everyone has really got a, the opportunity to be an amazing creator in this day and age. I wanted to um, kind of marry those trends, give those individuals with a point of view on style and fashion or professionals that are pretty active across social media today, a platform where they could upload what they care about, their beautiful images, their fashion photographer with a great eye for street style. They're an individual who happens to be self-starting a career as a makeup artist. The internet today allows people to connect very specifically on their interests. I wanted to build a platform where the best visual creatives could come together, but immediately be linked to the brands that were being featured Mm -hmm. to kind of get that look, emulate that style. And I knew that I'd worked with thousands of brands during my time at Guilt, and I could bring them on board to unlock their online inventories. So Project September is a great way for creators to upload their images, connect with followers, but most importantly, bring in immediately into their work the live inventory feeds from 7,000 plus brands to say, this is how I got this look, here's where you can buy it. 
And, and you can do it too. And you can do it too. That's and they actually, cool. they, anything that sells, they can see what their influence is, use places they're sending people, but they're often capturing about 10% plus of anything that sells. And so, you know, this has been really your baby, mm-hmm. right? You co-founders before, you worked in a startup. And so this has been probably a new learning experience in many ways. And is there anything in this sort of last ride that you built, Project September, Mm -hmm. was there something different that you were like, wow, I had no idea? Well, every idea that I have pursued has gone in a different direction I didn't imagine. And that's just sort of the nature, I think, of startups. You rarely are working on what you set out to do in that pure form 18 months later. Right. You always are getting something that's changing the way you do something. Um, For Project September, we didn't expect to see as many fashion photographers come on, as an example. Uh, We didn't expect that the brands themselves would want to contribute the creatives, the visuals that they were um, undertaking and and producing. There there are definitely new things we learn as we go that kind of change the idea and take it in a new direction. Uh, This time around, I, I think... Funding I undertook about the same way. I have a great team of people, strong technical co-founding team of of individuals. I myself regret that I am not a coder, so I've always had to have that as a key part of any business that I started up. But I would say, generally speaking, uh, any idea I've pursued has definitely changed by month six. Yeah. And by the way, that is phenomenal advice, even for anyone that's Mm -hmm. listening who is, you know, thinking about starting a business or is a founder. And I do think that for women in particular, it sort of validates that that's what happens. I mean, I had a conversation with a woman yesterday who I am invested in and I'm joining the board. And I said to her, if you end up not making the numbers that you think you're going to make when you have this Pearson Leader round or the people that put all the money in. It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Or if the salesperson that was your VP of sales, you end up getting rid of them and they're not here by the first board meeting. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Like they invested in you and they invest in the company. And, you know, and she was talking about something where they're going to shift something that when the short term, it will affect the numbers, but in the long term, it will be great. She's like, and how do you think everyone's going to respond to that? That is the nature of a startup. And I think that um, a lot of people think, oh, my God, it's just me. Or, oh, my God, I can't say it. Or, you know, the business I thought was going to be for, like, 20-year-olds and it's for 40-year-olds. You know, I didn't expect those things. But that is, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. That's what people expect to happen. Yes. And it's it's, just, it's often a sign of success that you're listening and you're learning and you're doing something better. It's not a sign that you got it wrong off the bat. Completely. And that is sometimes a hard learning lesson in itself. But... Uh, I've seen that I over my time, I think, and this was definitely true at Guild, um, I think the, origi- the entrepreneurs are always the ones that are willing most to overturn their idea, mm-hmm. to try something totally new. Um, I think, yeah, when you get further down the road, the risk tolerance might change of certain um, executives you bring on board. But I think entrepreneurs, they, they have um, maybe an, a mission but they want and are willing to take the best and any road to get there. So I often find that entrepreneurs, you might, it might take you a little while to get there, but they're usually the ones that are most willing to rethink their original idea. Mm-hmm. I to overturn agree. it, 
to trash a part of it, to scrap it, to rebegin. And and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a very good thing. I think um, when people say, you know, what is it you invest in? It's just like people that know Tuesday at 1102 that this isn't working. <laughs> And they're going to, they're willing to make the shift. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's the, it's the people that are holding on to something that they believe is like you know the golden nugget that is fitting right inside that box that they thought was an empty box um, is is not going to get you anywhere. Exactly. I mean, it's a very fluid, fluid business. Mm -hmm. Thank you to Alexis for sharing her story with us this week. If you'd like to check out Project September and everything they have to offer, you can download the app at projectseptember.com. It's really, it's a beautiful app. Thank you. Um, and um, thank everyone for joining us this week. If you'd like to stay up to date with Positively Gotham Gal, just subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, and we will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne.